happy Easter again. It's great to see you. It's just, and, it's, and we made it through the winter, and it actually started to kind of feel like Easter and spring this week. I wasn't so sure. Last week, Palm Sunday, still snow covering everything, and uh, finally uh, had a, a nice week. Actually, it uh, caused a flood in this room. The, the yellow caution tape in the front here is not part of our Easter decoration. It's actually the standing water as the snow is melting and coming up into this building, but praise God, that's a sign of spring. Also grateful for spring is my colleague, Pastor Brian Bethke, who's sitting over here and has given me permission to share what I'm about to share with you. He moved here from Southern California last summer. He spent the summer and fall for his first time living in New England, and he said, I love living here. People said, you just wait for winter. You wait, it's going to happen, it's coming, and he said, I'll be ready, I'll be ready. So, and he was, he, he bought two things that were very important. One is he bought a pair of LLV boots, which I thought was a very a wise thing for him to do, and he bought a new snowblower. And uh, his father-in-law picked it up, gassed it up, brought it, and delivered it to his house so he could keep his driveway nice and clear. And the first storm, no problem. He cleared the driveway and just a little bit of snow, but just get used to how to work this thing and how to, how to get everything, which way to throw it. And then the second storm came. It was a big storm. A lot of snow. He waited until all the snow was down, and he goes out and he clears the first uh, row in the driveway of, of snow, and his brand new snowblower dies. <laughs> Can't figure out what is wrong with my brand new machine. He didn't realize that you have to keep putting gas into the snowblower all winter long. And that I had been delivered to him full of gas and, and after some investigating realized the reality of this. Why do I tell you that story? I tell you that story because it doesn't matter how shiny and new and brightly orange it is and how wide the augers are and how far it can throw snow. If the core of it, if the fuel of it is missing, then it, it's for nothing. It, it will not work. And Easter is great and faith is wonderful and there's a lot of great things about church and community, but without the very core of our faith, it will all just die out. So this morning, my goal is not to give you a fresh new take or a new spin on the Easter story, but rather to bring us back to the very core, the very fuel of our faith, to actually just strip away everything else and just look at what is at the very core of our faith. And this passage of scripture is perhaps one of the oldest accounts of just a core summary of our faith. And the person who wrote this named Paul, he said, I want to remind you the gospel I preached to you. He preached a gospel to them. The word gospel just means good news. He shared with them good news, and he wants to bring them back to it and remind them of it. This was written probably just about 20 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So this is a very early, very ancient document, the most ancient summary of faith that is, is known to mankind, perhaps. And he uh, he gives it to them, reminds them at the core of their faith, and I want to ask four questions about this summary of faith. The first is, what is this good news? What is the good news? Let's take a look. He said, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. 
And we'll notice right away that the very first thing we know about this good news, it's about Jesus Christ. Christ means the Messiah, means the anointed one, the one who was to come, the king who was to come and to save. It's about a person. It's about Jesus. And right there, this sets Christianity apart from all other world religions and philosophies because it's about a person. There's other founders of religions and religious thoughts, uh, but they achieve maybe a prophet status if you think about uh, Islam or uh, Mormonism. That their, their founders were seen as prophets, but not worshipped as God. There's other systems of thought and other religions, things like Buddhism and Hinduism and Confucianism. It doesn't particularly matter who the leader was, because it's not about the leader, it was about the philosophy. But Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the light, that our faith is about a person, it is about Jesus. And that sets Christianity apart as unique. And we'll notice too that he says that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, but that he was buried and he was raised on the third day. The bodily death and resurrection of Jesus is uh, this historic fact that sets, again, sets Christianity apart, that this is rooted in something that happened. So this is a good news. It's an announcement of what happened. It's not a path. It's not a philosophy. It's not just primarily a way of life. It's about something that Jesus has accomplished. That is at the very core and the center of this good news. So our question is, well, why is that good news? Why is this such good news that we would celebrate it? And the reason is this. By this gospel, by this good news, you are saved. This good news saves you. It saves you because Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And I don't know what you need this morning, but sin is a problem. And I don't know what you feel like your greatest need in life is. Some people feel their greatest need is to maybe accomplish something, to have success in life. Maybe it's to have great relationships in life and to, to find love or find purpose and meaning or find wisdom to share with the world. Whatever you think your greatest need is, there is a problem, and the problem is sin. And what sin does, as Scripture shows us, is that it separates us from God. It deadens us. It creates a barrier between people and God. And therefore, all those other things that we might pursue, all the wisdom and the happiness and the, and the love and the success that we can find in life, we, when we do not know the God who created us, when we are separated from that God, that is a problem. And Jesus Christ died for us. His death saves us. There's this beautiful exchange that happens on the cross. That all of our sin and all of the deadness and brokenness with it, Jesus takes on himself. And in exchange, he gives us his goodness and his righteousness. And it's not just saving us from the sin, but it's saving us for something. It's for his kingdom to be brought into his family, to understand the God who made us, and to understand the world that he has put us in so we can pursue and understand all those other things. And it's something that we can stand in. Again, in this summary of faith, Paul, who wrote it, he said, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken 
your stand. It's something that we can stand in and be firm in. And that's good news because the world can be very unsafe. And I don't know about you, but I feel like the world is perhaps getting even more and more unsteady, unstable, unpredictable all the time. And here we have something that we can take a stand in an unsteady world where it's easy to slip. And it's all about God giving it to us, giving us Jesus, giving us his grace. That's why we use the word grace. It is a gift. We didn't, we didn't discover it. We didn't invent it. It was something that God reached to us through Jesus to give to us. That's why Paul, when he writes this, he says, it's by the grace of God that I am what I am. It was God's grace to me. And when you experience his grace and when you realize his grace, it's a grace that changes you. As you experience that, you understand that God, through his grace, is saving, but also giving us his spirit as a guide, as wisdom, as comfort as power for our lives. And that type of grace will change you from the inside out. So that brings us to our third question. Then, is it true? You know, what is the good news? It's about Jesus and what he accomplished. Why is it good news? It saves you. It changes you. But is it true? Because the way I just described it, I would think everybody would want it. And here there are two pieces of evidence to help us to understand the truth of this. Let's take a look. Let me read this again. He says, He was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and to the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep or died. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also. Two big pieces of evidence here. One is scripture. Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. He was buried and he rose again according to the scripture. We have all of the Old Testament scriptures that are pointing to the person and the work of the Messiah, of Jesus, the Christ. And, and Jesus in his life, in his death and his resurrection, he fulfilled a lot of prophecy. In general, just the God's promise to rescue the world and Jesus, after he rose, he told his disciples, he said, look, everything from the law of Moses and the Psalms and the prophets, that was about me. They testified to me. And Jesus was the fulfillment of God's work. In, in a very general sense. But also, specifically, many prophecies written hundreds of years before around Jesus' birth, he, where he would be born, when he would be born, his name, that he would be born of a virgin, that he would uh, be... It would have to come up out of Egypt. All these things predicted in the scriptures. His life, his miracles, his ministry to the sick and to the blind and the broken. These are all fulfillment of the scriptures. Even his suffering, that the Messiah would suffer. And that he would, by his wounds we would be healed. This is all predicted years before. And his, his, even his rising to new life. Have you considered how much prophecy was fulfilled in Jesus. It's not that these people could somehow just look back and attribute these things to Jesus, but he lived it and demonstrated it. And that's the first piece of evidence we have, is, is the 
testimony of Scripture, all fulfilled in Jesus. <laughs> the second piece of evidence that's given here is the witnesses. There's all the, he's saying, look, he, he appeared to individuals, but also to groups, and not just a few people who might have had a vision or some kind of hallucination, hoping Jesus was alive, but those 500 at one time. That, that kind of rules out the hallucination thing. It's not that groups have mass hallucinations together. And he's saying, you can go and talk to these people. They're still alive. It's only been 20 years. You can ask them. He's making a major statement about something that's happened. Historical fact. And he's saying, just go ask them. They are alive. And they are changed. So this is not just some great elaborate hoax. Because these people have been changed. They are now willing to even suffer and die for what they've seen. You won't suffer and die for something that you know is just fake or made up or just kind of a hopeful wish. They actually saw it and it changed them. Now, you might say, hey, I've heard people say, you know, that's a great thought, but these are kind of primitive people. This is a long time ago. They are, they might be inclined to just they want to believe more supernatural things because they don't have the nice little scientific minds that, that we have. You know, they're not as enlightened as we are. So, of course, they would be more likely to fall for this type of thing. But the problem with that statement is that these people were not looking for or hoping for a bodily resurrection Jesus. In, in the Greek mind, the body was something that was evil. It was a trap of the soul. And to be freed, even in death, to be freed from the body was a good thing. You wouldn't want to then be back in a body. To have Jesus come back in his body would not be something they would want or look for. It, another philosophy or view of the day was the Jewish mindset, which actually did understand a sort of a bodily resurrection, but it was at the end of all time. It was at the end of history, at the end of the age, not in the middle of history. Nobody's thinking that Jesus, in the course of time, would rise in his body. Nobody is looking for it. And then specifically mentioned here is James, and Paul mentions himself as Jesus risen Jesus reveals himself to. These were not believers. These were not people hoping that Jesus would be risen. These are, these are people who had dismissed it. Yet, they saw it, and they were changed. If you sit here today and say, I can't believe this stuff, this Easter stuff, it's happy, I like singing, I like celebrating, but I just it doesn't fit my worldview. I would say to you, I'm not sure it fit their worldview either. Yet, they saw it. They heard it. It changed them. Nobody wanted this resurrection. They didn't become such an amazingly strong group, just of common people. Just a strong and resilient and willing to die group because of they just had happy thoughts. They're just very optimistic. They were willing to suffer and die. And in, in this writing, in the summary of faith, it says you can just go ask them what they saw. Is it true? What is the historically possible or even plausible alternative to that? I don't know. I, here's my offer to you this morning. 
I offer to, if you will contact me, go on our church website, you can email me, call me. I'm willing to sit and, and um, if you ever were interested in this and wanted to explore more, is it true? What is the evidence? Who are the eyewitnesses? I would love to sit with you personally, a cup of coffee, and discuss these things with you. Because I believe it's true. Which brings us to our last question here is, what do I do? What, what do I do with this? And here it says, whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. What we need to do is just believe. We put our faith in what Jesus accomplished on the cross, that he indeed, that it's about Jesus, it's about his death and resurrection that saves us, and it is true, and we believe that. And we receive that truth into our lives. And I'll give you an opportunity later in our service to receive that and to let that change you. And what we're going to do in the weeks to come, and I love, I invite you to join us back at our Andover site or in North Andover on Sundays. We are going as a church to be exploring what does it mean that God's grace changes us? What is the work of His Spirit in our lives? What does that produce? What is the fruit of God's Spirit in our lives? And we want to, we're going to be exploring that all spring. I would love for you to join us. But first, we must believe. And you might say, I'm not sure I can believe. Or I, I, I just don't believe. But remember the people here who received God's grace. You mentioned specifically that Jesus appeared to Peter. Peter is a great example of the extremes of faith. Peter was the one who said, Jesus, even if all, even if I have to die, even if everybody else goes away, I will never leave you. He was so self-confident, self-righteous. And you know the thing about self-righteous Christians? They're so annoying. <laughs> I, I have a good friend of mine. He, he recently said to me, he said, you know, if it wasn't for self-righteous Christians, I wouldn't become a Christian a long time ago. They actually kept these type of followers of Jesus, kept me from him. And for, for those, they need to remember, it's about God's grace. It's about his goodness, not our commitment and our faith, but it's about what he accomplished. That's at the core, that is the fuel of our faith. But Peter was also somebody who messed up that. He denied Jesus repeatedly. He wept bitterly for how he had abandoned Jesus. He didn't follow through on his promises. And there's those of us in here who say, well, I would follow Jesus. I'm just not good enough. I've messed up too much. You know, if I were better, if I did better, then God may accept me. And we need to put that aside and remember at the core of our faith is not how good we are. But it's our sin that Jesus died for our sin, according to the scriptures. That we need his grace. We need his forgiveness. That's our starting point, not our goodness. And not what we accomplish. We need to remember God's grace. That's the Easter grace. If, if you are ever inclined, if somebody were to ask you, you know, are you a Christian? Are you a person of faith? And you say, well, I'm a Christian. I'm just not a very good one. If you feel inclined to say, I'm not a good one, you've got to remember at the core of your faith is not your goodness, it's his goodness. It's what Jesus accomplished. And going back to that fuel, going back to that grace. And Peter is a good reminder of that. But there's also James. He was related to Jesus. He dismissed the whole Jesus thing his whole life. He dismissed it as nonsense. They thought 
Jesus was crazy until he saw the risen Jesus. And he, he believed it changed him and he becomes a leader in the church. Paul, who wrote these words, persecuting the church, like against it, not just, not just dismissing it as crazy, but actively trying to stop it until he meets the risen Jesus and his heart is changed. It's the same grace to all of them, to all of us, that same grace is available. So what is at the core of our faith and our celebration this morning? It's all about Jesus. It's about what he accomplished, that he died for our sins, he was buried, and he rose again. Praise God. And all we do is believe in the truth of that. We receive it by faith, and we let God's grace change us. Hallelujah. Amen.